Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you are here to worship with us this morning. Uh, you know, it's been a very trying six, uh, six weeks, almost seven weeks, I guess. I'm not quite sure at this point. Um, I, I know that pl- many of you uh, seem, you know, a little antsy and stuff, ready to get out and so forth. And there's been a lot of debate on Facebook and, and different and the news and different things going on. And, and I just want to remind us as Christians that different opinions can be valid and that we need to be careful and not ruin relationships over having a difference of opinion. Um, uh, You know, there's a difference between a biblical stance and an opinion stance, and we need to be careful on that because one of the, I think, the greatest failings of Christians as a whole is we get upset with each other, and what do we do? We leave. We cut off relationship. We, uh, and that affects the church, it affects the Christianity, it affects the kingdom of God. So uh, I just want to, uh, uh, to caution us on that end. So uh, again, I, I, I appreciate all you guys showing up here on Sunday morning uh, online. Uh, you know, we welcome you uh, to worship with us today. Before we get into worship, I do want to mention that uh, Katrina's dad is in the hospital they admitted him already. Uh, he has cancer and so forth, and he's got uh, fluid on the lungs. Uh, they don't know if it came, uh, came from the chemo or the cancer or if it's pneumonia or something else. So let's uh, continue to uh, pray for them. In fact, why don't we pray as we begin our service this morning. Lord, we're so thankful that uh, you are our Savior. We praise you no matter what situation we we're in we pray for katrina's dad we pray for her family that you would give them a sense of comfort that you are in control that no matter what happens and when it happens and and how things happen that ultimately you are in control that uh, you designed the heavens you know what's going on in our lives and uh, you care for us individually and as as a world as a whole you want people to, to come back to you. You want people to, to, to realize that there's sin in their life and, and that the only place to take care of that sin is through Jesus Christ. And we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit awakens in us, that it awakens within our society, and it awakens within our church and within ourselves. In your loving name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, let's get into the Word this morning. Uh, last weekend, we compared our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, kind of like with a tow truck that arrives to pull a vehicle out of a mess and, and we feel like we're stuck and, and we got ourselves in a bind and, you know, we were out there having some fun on our way to work or doing something and we, life just turned into a mess. And the Holy Spirit comes and helps us out of that mess and, and, and we were not going anywhere until Jesus comes and seeks and saves the lost. You know, sometimes we are lost and it's not too huge of a, a problem. Uh, others of us really get banged up and, a, and an ambulance has to come and has to be called and to, to really take care of us. And then all of a sudden the tow truck driver does something that normally would never happen. He gets in the car that's all fixed up. In other words, it's been pulled out, it's gone to the, to the, the place to be fixed, and he gets, you know, when that, you know, they give him a call. Hey, hey, the car's fixed, and, and the car's all fixed up now, and he, and he, he comes and shows, us, uh, shows up, and he kind of pushes us over, and he gets in the driver's seat. And he begins to take our, our family, our church, our community, 
towards the destination that God has for us. He obviously intends to drive from now on. You know, the seat, the pedals, the rearview mirror, the side mirrors, we, we got them all set perfect, you know. And, and when somebody gets in our car and drives, it, it, you know, all of a sudden it's all changed up. And now it's set up for him. At first, we're okay with this. He's a really good driver. But as time goes by, we, we kind of like that control back. We sit down and say, man, the, the seat is all messed up and, and my mirror is not in the same place. And we eventually look up and, and, and we realize this isn't the way to go. This is not the destination that I put into my, my GPS. What's going on here? And we start to get restless and we ter- tend to forget what God, you know, what got us into this situation to begin with. That it wasn't God, that it was us. So instead of wisely staying in the back seat... We pushed the best driver that we've ever had out of the car so we can be in charge again of our own life's journey. You know, in the first century, the apostle Paul scolded the Christians for doing something like this. With the church community that Paul and Barnabas had had gone and started for them, there's a really sweet thing going on there. Jews and Gentiles were there, and, and rich people and poor people and slaves, owner of slaves. And, and again, we've gone over this. It's, it's not slavery as in the, the American slavery, but slavery back then, a lot of times people um, owed a debt, and they said, well, I will work it off uh, by becoming your slave. So, so, you know, and then you had uh, wars going on, and they would take people uh, for slavery and so forth. So that's kind of the slavery we're talking about. But, but you had, you know, you had the owners and the slaves right there in the, you know, in the same church, worshiping the same God. You had male and female. You had different ages. It was a great table fellowship. I mean, they ate a lot together. Which is, which is really uh, uh, important. It's, it's why we try to do this here. Right here, not so much because of the quarantine, but it's part of what we call the koinonia, the table fellowship. Oftentimes, like the Corinthians, he had to say, hey, 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 you know how you were eating together a lot? And, and then it turned into drinking too much. And then, you, you know, after you're drunk, you're serving the communion. Um, that's not how we do it, guys. It's not what it's about. We need to party in Christ, but not that type of partying. We need to have a relationship where we gather together as the church. Now, here we're with the Galatians. You kind of have the opposite thing happening. The partying has completely stopped in Christ. They used to gather all together, and it was a blast in Christ. And, but, but now they're kind of, they've gotten used to it, kind of all separated out, and the you know the the jews have come and told them well you can't have male and female together you can't have this you can't have that Uh, not really caring about each other we really need to care about each other in the church it's very important for the church body and to remember that we're saved by grace every single one of us so often we forget the grace that uh, uh, like we talked about last week paul would say and, and and did say you were all family. What happened? You listened to the wrong people. You know, in the case of the Galatians, men from Jerusalem a thousand miles away had come and corrupted their thoughts, their beliefs, what they'd been taught. Grace was gone. Old Testament law was here to stay, in a sense. 
The fun environment was gone and, and the rules were here to stay and the Holy Spirit was driven from the church. The self-appointed religious busybodies, they wrecked everyone. It was kind of like a, a you know, freeway pileup. My, my boys have this, have this uh, Hot Wheels uh, ramp where six cars race. And, and I can remember once we had it outside in the back and, and, and every Hot Wheel in the, you know, in, in the house was, was out there. And it was like this big freeway pileup down at the end of the ramp. And, and that's what happened. They wrecked everybody. Moses would turn in his grave if he saw how you weren't following the rules, they would say. Now, you might remember last week the Apostle Paul confronted the issues in Galatians 3.1. And I kind of rewrote it for us, you know, uh, in a sense, kind of paraphrasing here. But he basically says, you Galatian believers are crazy to be listening to these guys telling you to do more Jewish things in order to get the Jewish God to bless you and allow you inferior Gentiles to join the you know, the ethnically superior Christians. Paul is saying, this is nuts. This is crazy. What got you here? This is not how you received the Spirit. And it's not how you, you are to invite the Spirit to stay with you. Your salvation is nothing more than a rescue. All of you Jews and, and Gentiles alike, and the Holy Spirit was blessing you, it was a miraculous thing how you all changed for the better, allowing God to take control of your motivations, your passions, your thoughts, your words, your actions, your, your decisions, your relationships, your future. Why would you ever try to improve on what God was doing among you? Friends, you, have, you were not saved because you were so good at being religious. You weren't saved by imitating another ethnic group. You were rescued by Christ himself from that kind of thinking. So why is your community now listening to these so-called Christians? With these worn out rules and regulations. Why do you care about their approval? You already have God's approval. You receive God's approval the day you sat at the foot of the cross. Allowing his son's sacrifice to be for you. My advice is simple, says Paul. Send those judgmental agitators back to Jerusalem and return quickly to your first love. Sit back down together at the, at the common table of Christian fellowship where, where, where he completely, you know, you, you have this complete dependency on the Holy Spirit to lead you. Resist anyone handing, you know, handing you any list of approved religious behaviors. You know, we need to really study what Jesus said about this to, to receive what Jesus did. And don't attempt to follow Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, remind those religious guys that if, if they love following the law so much, the same law also says they must keep every law all the time or they're cursed. So now this weekend in, in chapter, uh, you know, chapter 3, verse 6, Paul's going to bring up Abraham. The ancient Jewish icon, the pivotal leader in, in history, really. A leader revered not only by the Jewish people, but the Christian people, and also the Muslims. Paul gives us a, a key to the, to the father Abraham's life in verse 6. He says in verse 6 of chapter 3, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Sounds so simple. Abraham trusted God, 
But what, did, but what Abraham did and his extent of his complete blind trust in God, even when God still wasn't coming through for Abraham year after year, that's what Abraham did. This complete trust, when not understanding the whys. And many of us, uh, you know, have gone through different parts of our life where we do not understand the whys. We find ourselves in a situation and we're like, why? What, what happened? I don't even know what happened. All of a sudden, I'm just here. Abraham ended up in many situations like that and he didn't understand the whys. This type of trust is the most difficult for Christians who have walked with the Lord for any length of the time through the valley of the shadow of death or disappointment or God not doing what they thought he was doing. And now they're like, I just, I don't know. I don't know. In some cases, we tell people how we feel. In other cases, we speak Christianese now. So we can admit to those who are, uh, we're, you know, so we don't admit to those that we're not living that life now. We got new friends, our kids play together. We don't, wanna, we don't want anyone to know that we're struggling now in our faith. What is interesting now is that we live 2,000 years after Christ's death and resurrection with the Bible in our hand. Abraham lived like 1,900 years before Christ, before he lived and he died. And he absolutely, he, he had no Christian Jewish resources available. He lived 434 years before the law was even given, before the Holy Spirit would fall on, on individual people. There was Abraham. He lived in a day and age where there was no archaeological evidence of a monotheist. There probably was some, but not much, you know. People who believed in, in one God, many people believed, you know, were polytheist. You know, people who believed in many gods. But, but today, we have people who just don't believe in anything except themselves. Somehow, this man heard Yahweh when no one else was listening. And the extent of how this man trusted God, pleased God so much... That God said, hey, you know, his account, clear it all out of any sin. He is a righteous man. Abraham is now in good standing with me. This guy trusts me so much, and that makes me so happy. I see that, that he is righteous, and I say that he is righteous by my standards. What is interesting is that if you follow Abraham's life, you see a man who does some really unrighteous things. We go, well, well wait a minute. God says he's righteous, but, but he does, and, and you know, he goes and he does that. Well, that's the exact picture of grace and mercy that we've been talking about. It's in the book of Genesis. Also, and God is saying, I give grace and mercy the way Abraham received righteousness. And he received it by not following the rules, but by believing. He trusted God. What proved that? His words, his actions, his prayer. Everything about him said, I've never seen you, but I trust you with everything that I have. This is why the Apostle Paul brings up Abe to the, to the Galatian Christians. Because these Jerusalem party poopers that have been messing with them say that they are the true sons of Abraham. And the reason for that is because they were born Jewish. Well, so lucky you. And we're going to show you how to really enter the, to the kingdom of God. 
That's what they were saying. And this is the same type of argument the harsh religious people used against Jesus. We're going to see a strong reaction to Jesus back in, in John chapter 8. And, you know, let, let, let's get our bearings of what, what was happening. I'm going to talk about John 8 for a second here. But in John 8, you know, Galatians is written in A.D., I think around 48 or so. Paul is writing to them. 20 years before this uh, happens in John 8. So it's been 20 years since Jesus was having these conversations in Jerusalem that Paul is now having with the Galatians in Turkey. John 8 is a powerful chapter in the book of John. At the beginning of John, we have, uh, or John 8, we have uh, all the stuff that's happening. People who don't know Jesus know this part, really, because uh, uh, everybody remembers the phrase, he who is without what? Cast the first stone. He is who, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Most people know that saying. This is the beginning of John chapter 8. Then Jesus, you know, is publicly teaching, just laying it all out there. You guys are going to kill me. And they're like, no, no, no. You guys are going to kill me. Not in the way you, to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get away. He's telling them, you are going to kill me. So later they can say, you know what? He told us what was going to happen. At this point, they're saying, man, he's crazy. He's demon-possessed. And then they get all racial on him. Well, you are a Samaritan. Like that has anything to do with it. And in John chapter 8, verse 21, it says, Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you will look for me, you will, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued you are from below. I am from above. You are, you are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that I would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Verse 25, they said, who are you? Who are you? What they're saying is this. Who do you think you are that you can talk like this to us? Do you know who you're talking to here? We are Jerusalem Jews, uh, Jews, son of Abraham. We can trace our heritage back. You know, those northern kingdom Jews, they don't even know which tribe they came from. But we southern Jews, we know which tribe we came from. And we are the epitome. Verse 28, Jesus says to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I, am, uh, that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has never left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Oh man, this really ticked them off. He goes on and says, To the Jews who have believed me, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, it's not the fact that Jesus didn't like the Jews. He just couldn't stand the, the religious, self-righteous ones. The ones who, who were getting it, he's saying, stick with the truth, guys. It'll set you free. Then in verse three, 33, he says, they answered him, well, we are Abraham's descendants, you know, and we have never been slaves of anyone. <laughs> Had they forgot their own history, you know? 
How can you say that we have been set, you know, set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs in it forever. So if a son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Verse 38, I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham said. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Now, this is, a, this is a public argument, and they're just letting everything loose, and people are gathering around listening to this. And in verse uh, you know, 42, he's, uh, you know, Jesus says to them, if, you go, if, God, sorry, if God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. My, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you will want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever does not belong to God, here's what God says. The reason you, you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, Aren't we, we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon. He doesn't even answer the Samaritan thing. It's not even worth his time. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word uh, will never see death. At this, they proclaimed, now we have, uh, now we know that you are, you are demon possession, uh, demon possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever obeys my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? You see why Jesus and Paul and others, they bring up Abraham. It was such a big deal to these people. Verse 54, Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not... I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not even 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. See, this was 1,800 years after Abraham. I mean, there's so much there. We could spend, you know, several weeks right there, and I probably have in the past. But, but the Apostle Paul is picking up on where Jesus left off on this. 
to the same type of people. And to make it worse, these people, you know, have added Christ to their belief system without making Christ the answer to the law. They just added Christ to the mix on the things. And that is a terrible thing when you start adding Christ to a mix of, of different beliefs. So you believe in the, in the cross of Christ, he would say, but you still have to keep the law and do all these things. A lot of Christians today who say they believe in the cross of Christ say they believe in the grace and mercy. And then, then you know, we have to ask the questions, then why are you adding all these other things that, that, you know, that, that you have to do? And even still, they're not sure if they're going to heaven or not. Galatians comes right to, into the 21st century for us. Uh, here was Paul's point back then, and we can kind of bring it forward. Abraham is the ethnic father of all Jews and many Muslims and Christians. In Galatians 3.6, it says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited him as righteousness. So he had right standing with God before the law even existed. It is not about the rules. No one could say that he wasn't Jewish enough before there were even Jews. Therefore, no one can say, you know, can come and tell you, you are not Jewish enough to be okay with God. Because Abraham was accepted by God and declared righteous. You will also be declared righteous. He uses their hero to prove that they are wrong. On the other hand, for someone who has no Bible in his hand, acted so Christ-like most of the time. And God saw that in him. God personally declared him righteous. Just like God personally declares you righteous that, you know, that day when you sat at the foot of the cross. When you realized that he died for you, for you, you know, for you he suffered. It was for you and me that he rose from the grave. It was for you and me that he ascended to heaven. It was for me that he was preparing a place in heaven. For it was, you know, it was for me that he gave us the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul is saying, these people are trying to take all that away from you. They're trying to turn, you know, into, uh, really turn it into another club where everyone has this membership. We know who is on the inside and who's on the outside of the club, and it robs us of the joy of being forever his and being, being forgiven of our, our behaviors and our sins. You know, Abraham trusted God, and God loved it. He never prayed to receive Christ in his heart, but he had Christ in his heart. Abraham didn't have a quiet time, most likely. He never went to church, never went to a church camp. He was the ideal Christian, but how in the world was he like this 18 years before Christ? Well, the how is because he trusted God. And that complete trust is why God, you know, credited it to him as righteousness, as complete righteousness through no works of his own. No deserving it or earning it, nothing. This is what I love about communion. It reminds me that there's nothing that I can do to get into heaven. It is through Jesus Christ alone. If we want God to, to say we are okay with him for eternity, if we want to be saved, and Paul is writing this to the church, okay? He's saying if we want to be saved, we must trust God with everything. And everything we are for the rest of our life. 
If you think that's easy, you're wrong. It is difficult to do, to trust him with our past and let go of it. Um, you know, it, to, 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 so often we hold on to those past achievements that we have. And it's such, you know, giving such a big, you know, it gives us such a big head. Or to trust him with our present situation where it really it's a, it's a mess. And, uh, you know, and, and to trust him completely with our future and to even obey him, um, you know, we, we don't like to do that. And if we don't allow God to, uh, to uh, direct our lives, then he is not our God yet. All we have uh, done is, is to join, a, you know, our little pantheon that includes us. Hey, God, partner with me in my life. You know the old bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? Everyone is supposed to honk and say, well, good for you, brother. The problem is it's great for you, but not so great for God because God is not a co-pilot. He is a partner where we sit down and make decisions. He's not a business partner. He's either in charge or not in charge. So many Christians, we fall into this trying to get God to partner with us. We throw up our prayers. Hey, God, I need you too. Then we realize and go, uh, you, you know, we realize that, that, that we become the presumptuous little brat. You know, we, we just go to him and, and we, we realize that we didn't even say hi to him. Nothing. We just throw up the old request and I'll get back to you later. We have wasted years of our Christian lives not submitting to the will of God. Because I thought that I prayed about something. And it would become the will of God. I wasn't praying for God's will to be done. I was praying for my will to become God's will. Therefore, I was praying for my will to be done. That's a huge difference. When we refuse to trust God, you know, was I wrestling with, with him over who drives, you know? Uh, did I understand what salvation was yet? Um, you know, and, and did, I, did I really become a Christian at that point? You see, the way that we know we have confessed and believed, you know, has it changed our lives so we start to look like Jesus? It is much more humble life, uh, you know, humble life to, when we realize, you know, when's the last time that we really confess our sin to God? Really, when was the last time? We need role models that go before us to, uh, to watch and see as they deal with situations. Sometimes God puts us through a real trial, not even for us, but for someone else who can watch how we handle things. And this can be so frustrating. God, why are you allowing this? Well, Alan, it's because I want others to see. Well, wait a second, what? That's not a good reason. I'm not okay with that. It's not a good reason at all. And he's like, well, actually, Alan, it is. Let's take a, a quick look at Genesis 12. In Genesis 11, you have Terah. He has a son named Abraham who grew up and married a woman named Sarah. And they can't have kids. They leave Ur back, you know, down in, in, um, uh, down in uh, you know, Iraq, Iran area. And they go up to Haran uh, back when it was a peace, peaceful area. And, you know, they, it's the same place they've been fighting for the past 15 years or so. But Terah uh, uh, dies in, in Haran, and God comes to Abram. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. 
I will make you your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This one passage of Scripture, there are people who have spent their entire careers as theologians studying this one passage and the ramifications for the world. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. It's a very interesting thing where, you know, what God is telling him. And it makes no sense to him. Leave your family behind. Take your wife. Leave your ethnic group. Walk away from everything familiar, including all those gods your family worships. Start worshiping this one and only God. After you get going, I'm going to reveal to you where you're headed. And even though you have no kids, you, you know, you're 75 years old, you and your wife will father a nation. And every, you know, every nation on earth will be blessed because of you. So now we see Abraham's faith in verse 4. It says, well, Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And he goes down through Shechem, and he ends up in the Sea of Galilee area, and the Canaanites are not there, and you know, won't be Israel for another 400 years or so. So they end up in Egypt for a period of time. They, you know, eventually he breaks ties with Lot, which is a good thing. Then in chapter 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. He has this relationship with God that he can kind of complain to. And he goes to God. He goes, but I don't even have kids yet, God. You know, um, but, you know but, but re- in reality... Uh, his wealth, God had given him wealth and stuff, but it, it's really measured on the size of your herds, how many ca- uh, camels, donkeys, goats, sheep, how many, you know. Then it goes, how many sons do you have? Well, he doesn't have any. So he complains to God. You have made me wealthy, but you said the father of many. Nothing has happened. And God says, no, 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 no. You, you, uh, you will not have to give your inheritance to your servant like you're complaining about. He tells Abram to come out of the tent. And, he, and Abram does. He trusts God. And God says, look up. Look up into the sky. Look up into the desert sky. And God says, count the stars. I'm going to bless you thousands and thousands and thousands of children. That's your inheritance. Think about this for a second. The light of the closest star that, uh, uh, that we can see with our eyes is about four years. So that, star, that light started four years ago. And the furthest star he could see with the naked eye would have left that star about 4,000 years ago. So that night, he's looking up at some light that is 4,000 years old. And he doesn't even know that. But it's a beautiful thing about God. God is saying, I've been thinking about you a lot. Longer than, than you think I have. I've been planning your life in this conversation for 4,000 years, knowing you would need to see that light. You know, some of us need to get out in creation this summer, if we can. <laughs> Not just because we're cooped up because of the virus, but we need to get out in creation to understand God. We need to look up at the stars. Get, get your mind off yourself because God is in charge. Just look at everything he's already done. Back in Galatians. It's Abraham, uh, you know, uh, believe God, it says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What is really weird is Abraham doesn't have kids for a long time after saying this, but, but so still God was saying, trust me, trust me. You know, God wasn't playing games with them. He, he was just getting all the pieces to fit in the right place. God trusted that Abraham can handle this. And Abraham trusted that God wasn't lying to him. And God loves it when we trust him. 
and our salvation is, is really attached to our trusting him. But, but Alan, that, is that base works? No. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. But what does belief look like if you're not trusting God? Some of us have lost our joy. You know why? Because we've started to, to trust in the same things this world does. Because God has let us down. You know, the number one reason people you know, walk away from God is instead of trusting God, they stop, they stop trusting God. Paul and Peter and James, all the guys in the New Testament come along and they preach the same thing about trust. But we have Christ in the empty tomb to look back on. And the Holy Spirit all in the picture now. And they say you can trust in this God who does this on Friday, who raised from the dead on Sunday. Our trust needs to be more. But Alan, God hasn't come through. Well, you're right. He hasn't come through. But we still need to trust in God. He hasn't come through yet. But Alan, this is hard. Yes, but the Holy Spirit is here to help us with this. All we need to do is ask. God is not the one who failed us. People have failed you. The devil has attacked you. Your body will fail you. God is not going to fail you. He, he, don't ever confuse life with God. He is there to get us through the valley, the shadow of death, and into the other side. But when we're in the middle of it, we will fear no evil. He will prepare a place for us in the presence of our enemy. The devil will have to watch you feast on mercy and grace and healing during this time. And there's nothing he can do about it. God puts desires in our hearts. So keep asking. Many times it's about timing and not about desire. So keep asking God and take the power of the Holy Spirit and, you know, take that what he has and, and hang in there while you're waiting on the blessing of the Lord. You see, I want to live in the kingdom of God now and it involves trusting God. So we have to, you know, ask God to teach us how to trust him. You know, let's, let's pray for that strength. Let's pray for that trust. Let's pray for that renewed strength that God needs to have in us or that we need to have in God. God already, you know, God's already given us the Holy Spirit to work through these things. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you give, give us the strength to trust in you. Many of us are going through, through difficult times. Some of us, it's financial. Some of it's, it's emotional. Some of us just want to get life back to, to where it is. But, but, but Lord, there's so many bigger things that are going on in this world that we should trust you about. I pray the, the Holy Spirit enlivens our, our lives to the point where we can just go to you at any time, confess our sin, and say, what do you want me to do now, Lord? You want me to live my life? Okay, I'll live my life. How do you want me to live it? Oh, in a righteous way? Okay, Lord, I'll do that. Give me the strength to do that. You want me to lead my family in a godly way? Give me the strength to do that. You want me to, to live my life out to, in a less sinful way? Well, then give me the strength and the ability to do that through your Holy Spirit. Because I've been trying to do it on my own, Lord, and it hasn't been working. Lord, we need your help. We pray for healing on this earth. But more importantly, we pray for healing in our own lives. Because that's what it's about. You changing lives, Lord. And please start with us. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. 
And may he bless you beyond anything you could ever imagine when you trust in him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.